to me, one of the more interesting things that happens when people have an encounter with Jesus throughout the Gospels is what happens after that encounter. You might remember some of the people who do encounter Jesus in the Gospels, people who might be blind, and upon meeting Jesus, they can now see. The deaf can now hear, the lame can now walk, the hungry end up being fed, even some dead people are raised. We have the desperate coming to Jesus, the lonely coming to Jesus, children, women, beggars, tax collectors, Pharisees, all of which when they come to Jesus are seen, noticed, valued, and known. And all of this, all of this is well and good. In fact, it's all really good. But what I find maybe just a little bit more interesting is what happens even after that. People throughout the Gospels have these run-ins with Jesus, this Jesus who not only preaches what we call the Gospel, or the good news, but he actually embodies this gospel, this good news in his very being. And when these people have their run in with Jesus, a change takes place. Now, you might be sitting there thinking to yourself, well, no duh, a change takes place. They just encountered God in the flesh. Of course, something has happened. But stay with me. This encounter with the good news in the flesh has now done something else. What it does is it now pulls individuals into community. Have you ever noticed this before? One of the first things that happens when someone encounters Jesus is that their I becomes a we. Their me becomes us. In Jesus Christ, we are drawn, and then thankfully, we are even welcomed into community. It happens here at Asbury, too. Maybe it's happened for you. I hope it has. Um, you might have been coming here for a long time. Some of you, this might be your first Sunday. Welcome. We're happy you're here. Some of you might be viewing online. We're happy you're engaged in that way. But however you got here, you might have been invited by someone or a family member or a friend, but what happens when you come into this place is that you find yourself a part of a larger body of people. Look around you, you're not alone. In fact, some of you might even be members here at Asbury, and some of you are in the room today who are gonna be joining our church's membership, and for that we are so thankful. God bless you, we are going to celebrate that. And even when you join into membership of this church, you find that you are not alone. You are a part of something much bigger than yourself, a people, a community. We have a name for this community. We call it the church. Ekklesia is the word in the Greek. Ekklesia simply means a gathering or a community or an assembly. Ecclesia, at its most basic, means people. People like you and me. 
A people called together by and centered in the love of Jesus and his good news with a common aim. We are aimed after living in and from the kingdom of God together here on earth as it is in heaven. And in this way, I believe that the church can be said to be essential. See, as we receive Jesus and his good news, our individual selves become unified with the whole. Our mind becomes ours. Again, our me becomes us. Our I becomes we. And as the pastor, the late pastor and author and even biblical translator Eugene Peterson once wrote, he wrote these words saying, the gospel restores us. It unites us. It sets us in community. The life of faith revealed and nurtured in the biblical narrative is highly personal, but never merely individual. Always there is a family, a tribe, a nation, church. God's love and salvation are revealed and experienced in the congregation of the people who, quoting the Psalms here, know the festal shout and they are not alone in the garden. Peterson continues to write, for the church is not what we organize, but what God gives. It's not the people that we want to be with, necessarily, but it's the people that God gives us to be with a community created by the descent of the Holy Spirit in which we submit ourselves to the Spirit's affirmation, reformation, and motivation. Now, what might be the purpose of this kind of community? What might be the purpose of this community drawn together by the love of God and centered on Christ? I'm sure you're probably thinking of a really good answer to that question right now. But one of them, I think, is that we are now the body of Christ. It hit me at the 8.30 service while Savannah was doing a much better job preaching on this text through means of the hokey pokey, that we are the whole body. We are one body in Christ, empowered by the Spirit, continuing the ministry of Jesus in this world. The Apostle Paul, in his letter to the Romans, in the passage that Robert just read for us, reminds his readers and hearers that followers of Jesus are like this one body, except it's made up of a bunch of different kinds of people who share and have, possess rather, unique giftings that they must live into. In fact, he's encouraging them to live into them within this body, to operate out of them. You know, we aren't all, uh, we don't all have the privilege of being the right index finger. Like some of us have to be the left pinky toe. But we are still one body together. And Paul encourages them to live throughout these giftings or into these giftings. And he starts naming some of them. You might have noticed he says gifts like prophecy rooted in faithfulness, service to others, teaching, encouragement, generous living, or giving rather. And some translations actually translate that as goodness, responsible leadership, and showing compassion and kindness to others. Now, I don't know if you picked up on some of the words that the apostle is using here, 
to describe the kind of individuals who make up the body of Christ, words like kindness, generosity or goodness, and faithfulness. But for some of us, those words should start ringing a bell in your head if you know your Bible, or if you've just been in church a little bit, maybe vacation Bible school, because these are the same exact words that he would use in a different letter to the Galatians to describe what he would call the fruit of the Spirit. And who possesses such fruit? Who possesses the fruit of the Spirit if it's not the follower or the apprentice of Jesus? Now the church, the church is essential to those who are a part of this body, who are members of this one body. But it's also essential to those who are not. But I need you to hear me when I say this. This is only true, that the church is not just essential to those who are within the body, but even to those who are outside of it. This can only be true if the church is made up of individuals who possess the fruit of the Spirit. To say it another way, this can only be true if if the church is made up of those who are truly apprenticing under their teacher, Jesus. That means that you and I, friends, must become followers, disciples, apprentices of Jesus if the church is to be essential in this world. That it is of great importance that we become disciples of our rabbi, Jesus, and his way in the world. That we become a people who cultivate and live into our many giftings, as the Apostle Paul writes about in our passage today. The question is, are we doing this? Are we living as members of one body? Or are we living siloed lifestyles, siloed lives, isolated from others, doing kind of our own thing? Are we unified and alive within a community that is given to us by God, created by the descent and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit who's molding each of us into the likeness of Christ day in and day out? Are we ourselves living and breathing incarnations of the good news of Jesus? Dallas Willard, who wrote a lot of books, he was a professor and a philosopher, revealed not long ago, and I've found myself more and more in line with his way of thinking here on this. He revealed not long ago that the greatest issue facing the world today, with all of its heartbreaking needs, is whether those who, by profession or by their culture, are identified as Christians, will become disciples, students, apprentices, practitioners of Jesus Christ, steadily learning from him how to live the life of the kingdom of the heavens into every corner of human existence. Now for the church to be essential, and I really do believe that it is, we must take Jesus seriously. You know, it's one thing to call ourselves a Christian, to go by that label. But it's quite another thing to truly follow Jesus. The good news is that Jesus has invited each of us, no matter who we are, with two familiar words, follow 
me. But will we? Maybe we will, but will we continue? As we receive this invitation from Jesus and we follow after him, we will then enter into this apprenticeship in his way. That is, we will learn, as Dallas Willard says, how to live the life of the kingdom of the heavens to every corner of human existence. In fact, as we spend time with Jesus, as any good apprentice does with the one that they are learning from, we will then start to become like Jesus And even further, we will become the kind of people who then naturally begin to do the kind of things that Jesus did. Willard, again, reveals that we will then live our lives as Jesus would live our lives if Jesus were us. Let me say that once more. As an apprentice of Jesus, we will begin to live our own lives as Jesus would live our lives if Jesus were us. That is, is, if Jesus were us with our gender, with, with our job, with our family, in our day and time, in our community or neighborhood or country, with our social media account even. And if each of us were to do that, then yes, the church would be essential. Our senior pastor, Mike Holly, puts it this way. He says, the church is us. The church is us, using our gifts and serving. We are one body with many members with various gifts. The building, as beautiful as it is, and it really is beautiful, is but the meeting place or the launching point for the church in its training and its service to the world. Now notice the language that Mike is using. He's being really careful. Describing the church, he references Paul's own language, saying that the church is us, one body with many members, each of us possessing, living into, and using our different gifts. It is not the building. The building is here to serve the church. The building is here to serve you and me to offer us a place to ecclesia, if you will, to to gather, to assemble together, to commune with one another, to train and serve and to love and care for one another and to be a place or a location that we are then sent out from in service to the world. And this is how the church becomes essential. In the book of Revelation, The author John writes of a vision he has of Christ. And he writes these words. He says, Then I turned to see whose voice it was that spoke to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, I saw one like the Son of Man. Now, John would go on to reveal that these lampstands represent seven different churches. The lampstands are the church. And friends, this is a wonderful depiction of what the church is. We are a lampstand. Notice a lampstand isn't the light. A lampstand hosts the light. And from the lampstand, the stand itself is illuminated by the light, but it also allows that light to illuminate everything around it. That is what we are. 
lampstands hosting the light of Christ that it might shine more fully into this world around us. And I read the text a little bit quickly, but did you notice where Jesus was in John's depiction? He's right there in the middle of the lampstands. He's in the very midst of his churches. Eugene Peterson once more writes, Christ is not seen apart from the gathered, the listening, the praying, believing, worshiping people to whom he is Lord and Savior. Peterson even adds, it is not possible to have Christ apart from the church. He is in our very midst, even right now. And he has promised to be with us always, day after day, after day, after day, even until the end of the age. So may we take seriously this invitation that Jesus has extended to us and become apprentices in his way, finding ourselves drawn into a beloved community of fellow followers, joined together by the gift of God's grace and his love for us, worshiping, serving, and growing together, revealing the love of Jesus and making the kingdom of God more visible here on earth. Now I want to add, um, actually I want to continue reading from our passage this morning. We stopped a little bit short. And what I would like to do, kind of in closing here, is to read the rest of the passage because Paul keeps writing. And I think his words are worth hearing. So as you hear these words, I want to make you aware of something first. First of all, it's going to sound really modern because it's going to be a paraphrase of Paul's writing. It's not going to sound very uh, churchy. It's going to sound like more of the language you and I use. But also, as you hear these words, I want to invite you to receive them. And to receive them, hopefully, as an encouragement that might spur each one of us forward in love for Jesus and our relationship with him and our apprenticeship to him and his way, but also to spur us forward as lampstands of the light of Christ. So hear the words that Paul writes and receive them, if you would. Love from the center of who you are. Don't fake it. Run for dear life from evil. Hold on for dear life to good. Be good friends who love deeply. Practice playing second fiddle. Don't burn out. Keep yourselves fueled and aflame. Be alert servants of the master, those who are cheerfully expectant. And then don't quit in the hard times. Pray all the harder. Help needy Christians. Be inventive in hospitality. Bless your enemies. No cursing under your breath. Laugh with your happy friends when they're happy. Share tears with them when they are down. Get along with each other. Just don't be stuck up. (laughs) Make friends with nobodies and don't be the great somebody. Don't hit back. Discover beauty in everyone. It's there. If you've got it in you, get along with everybody. Don't insist on getting even. That's not for you to do. I will do the judging, says God. I will take care of it. Our scripture tells us that if you see your enemy hungry, go buy that person lunch. Or if he's thirsty, 
Get him a drink. Your generosity will surprise him with goodness. And lastly, don't let evil get the best of you. Get the best of evil by doing good. Would you pray with me? Almighty God, we come before you today grateful to be a part of a larger whole. Recognizing that you see each of us as essential. You value and see and know each one of us and together, together God, you are using us for your purposes to make the kingdom of God, your kingdom, the kingdom of the heavens more visible here on earth and to make it as it is in heaven. God, you've enlisted us, you've, you've entrusted us with this gift of a mission to join in with what you are already doing in the world. God, we're grateful. We're grateful because we're not alone. We're grateful because we have you, and in you we find that we are already loved, that we are already enough, that we are already valuable and worthy of care and attention, of relationship, even with our Creator. And I pray, God, that this love that you've shown us would then empower us to go and love not just you, but to love others as we love ourselves. Help us. We thank you. We love you. We are grateful um, for what you're doing within us and within this body. In Jesus' name, we do pray and ask all these things. Amen.